You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. Man, do I have a good conversation for you this week. I sat down with Dr. Narina Ramlakan, the author of Finding Inner Safety, the key to healing, thriving, and overcoming inner burnout. And we talk all about stress and trauma and how all the stress and trauma, both big and small, that we experience in our lives. And to be clear, you don't have to come from a war-torn country to experience trauma really bubble up during menopause and wreak havoc on our well-being. And we've covered this topic before on the show, but this is the first time we really define trauma and stress. And Narina has some really great advice for bringing your nervous system back to a place where you feel safe and maybe even joyful. And this is hard-earned wisdom on her part. She's not only educated in neurophysiology, She has lived what she writes. Her father was terribly abusive during her childhood. She attempted suicide three times by her mid-30s. She suffered an eating disorder until age 34. She spent a month in a psychiatric clinic after a breakdown. She has lost family members tragically. She has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and complex post-traumatic stress disorder And she's also a really high-achieving woman athletically and professionally. She completed seven marathons and over 40 triathlons, which she would later realize that feeling unsafe drove her to achieve and win and get shit done. So during this conversation, you'll just hear a woman who has been through it and has found true inner peace and safety. Narina is a renowned physiologist and sleep expert over, um, with over 25 years of experience in helping people and organizations thrive by using her blend of physiology, psychology, philosophy, professional and personal insights, so they can create profound shifts in awareness and consciousness. Her passion is for people to live more peaceful, vital, and fulfilling lives in chaotic times. You can learn more about her and her work at drnarina.com. I'll put a hot link in that in the show notes. And I just really love this conversation and I hope you do as well. All right, before we get to it, quick reminder that I'm taking voicemails uh, to do a Q&A episode down the road. So you can leave any questions you'd like answered at speakpipe.com slash hit play. I will leave a clickable link to that in the show notes as well. Remember to sign up for my free weekly blog at feistymenopause.com, where I distill all the latest research and going on and menopause and what it means for you. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at feistymenopause.com. Come join our private Hit Play Not Pause Facebook group. I have an email. If you have ideas or feedback, you can hit me up at hitplaynotpause at livefeisty.com. And a quick thanks to That's It fruit bars. I have been loving them on my long rides and my runs. They are simply dried fruit, which I love, with probiotics, which is great for my belly. 
and they provide long-lasting energy that I need to keep going as these sessions for the 70.3 Ironman get longer and longer. So thank you. That's it for keeping the support of the show going. All right. Enough of me. Let's have a few words about our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. Okay. Well, Dr. Narina, I'm super excited to have you here with us today. And um, before we hit record, you shared with me what you did as a little morning ritual, which I would love for you to, now that I've hit record, share with our audience. Okay, let's go in on this one then. I um, I went down to the river. I live 200 meters or so away, a few hundred meters away from the River Thames. And at the moment, you know, we've got some really extreme weather in the UK. For us, it's really cold, It's you know. And so the river was about half a degree centigrade. And I went down with a couple of friends and my rescue dog. And in my swimsuit, I get into the river. I have some neoprene socks and some neoprene gloves for my fingers. Um, but I swim throughout the year in the river. I have been doing for four years. And I just got in for five minutes. And I did this thing called swooshing because the current in the river is so strong at the moment. So you can't really swim. Um, so I go upstream to this point where there's this tree and I sort of gingerly get into the water and it's cold, it's cold. <laughs> it's like getting into liquid fire. And then it, you swoosh down because the current carries you really, really fast downstream. And then I get off at a certain point, but it's just, I feel great. I feel so great right now. So that was two, three hours ago I did that. And and that is not necessarily a Wim Hof sort of practice, but something that you have just taken to doing um, for yourself for like anti-inflammatory purposes for mood boosting. Like what is the. I do it. Well, I've done a, a Wim Hof workshop years ago, probably about six years ago. But um, I, my family come from the Caribbean. I don't really do cold. You know, I would be the person walking around the house with a hot water bottle in my, my underwear, you know. Um, but then I discovered during the pandemic in particular um, I, I found myself in a really dark place and um, I started going down to the river and people would walk past and they would say things like, aren't you worried? Aren't you worried about sewage? Aren't you afraid? Aren't you worried that you'll drown? And that changed into, wow, are you enjoying that to can I join you? And so I made River Friends and it was as a result one of these River Friends that I came across your podcast, actually. Denise Yates, a really good friend of mine who's now a friend for life. But then I started to discover that my mood was so much better and that my body didn't ache, you know, because I'm coming through menopause. I'd noticed that my joints felt fantastic. I felt amazingly sharp afterwards and I was writing my fourth book. So I noticed that I would come back and in the afternoon, I wouldn't have that slump. I would just be feeling great. And so I'm I'm very balanced with it. This morning was only five minutes in there. And in fact, it was too cold for me to put my head in. Normally I swim with my head in, but the temperatures in the UK have plummeted so quickly that I haven't fully been able to acclimatize to putting my head in. So I was just in up to my neck with a bubble hat, the bubble hat. <laughs> I love that. I love that. You make me want to live on a, on a cold river, but um, yeah, that's a, that's a lovely morning ritual. And I'm glad that your river friend pointed you to our direction and that you're here with us today. Absolutely. It, it, it was a gift. It's a gift to be here today as well. Thank you. Is, is the fourth book this one, Finding Inner Safety, uh, the key to healing, thriving and overcoming burnout that we'll be talking about today? It is. 
That's my fourth book. That came out on my birthday last year, purely by ch by chance, serendipitously. The, the publisher, uh, my lovely publishers, uh, said, "How about the seventh of April?" I was like, "Wow, spooky! Yes, yes, please." That's my birthday. That's wow, good. that's nice. That is yeah. actually really nice. So mm -hmm. we have done two shows previously on trauma. One with a uh, physician who is well-versed in adverse childhood experiences and another with a woman who was a victim of many adverse childhood experiences, who's an ultra runner. Um, you know, and it's quite clear that it can profoundly impact the menopausal experience. And I, I really liked the quote in your book. You're like, we sleep when we feel safe, because I thought that really dovetailed into this conversation. You clearly know trauma. And I, I would love to dive into this topic because I don't think that I've ever really, um, really, really defined that term. Many people like myself, when we think of trauma, we think war-torn countries, right? Or maybe like yourself, like a victim of some sort of domestic violence or other violence. But what, if you were to define trauma, how would you define it for our audience? Oh God, let's start with an easy question then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's what I'm good at. <laughs> be, being a neurophysiologist, um, you know, I'm not a medical doctor, I have a PhD in neurophysiology. I think of trauma in terms, in, in, in many different ways, but I think of it in terms of the impact on the nervous system. Mm. And I'm also known as a sleep expert. And I say I'm known as is because I don't necessarily, I don't like labels, but I came to be labeled as a sleep expert. And I, for the last 25 years, I have watched the impact of life, the speed of life on the nervous system. And once, you know, in the, the early part of my career, I was measuring the, um, I was measuring what was happening in people's nervous systems. So this is when I started getting interested in trauma because trauma is that onslaught. It is that, that the force that lands, I'm, I'm making this up as I'm speaking now, right? Uh, that lands in the nervous system that forces us to live out of alignment with our natural state of balance and happiness and joy. That's just my today mm -hmm. definition of it. It it causes us to live from the wrong part of our nervous system, meaning in survival mode. And we're meant to go into survival mode sometimes, but we're not meant to live from there all the time. And so the impact of trauma and the weight of life and adverse events and past events, not necessarily even in your own life, can impact on your physiology and your nervous system such that you end up habituating to living in the wrong part of your nervous system without even realizing it. And, and this is what I see as being trauma. And this is what I have experienced personally as trauma. So if we're going to talk about how that intersects, you know, with menopause, it's, I get a lot of, of letters and, and notes from readers. And, you know, the one I got a, a a request for this kind of topic because the the reader wrote, I think a podcast devoted to how we carry trauma, memory, and traumatic experiences in our body gut would be a wonderful conversation. Uh, she says, not only do we see the heart gut brain axis in regard to physical health, there's a connection between gut memory and emotions that's important. And she also referenced the body keeps score, which I know that is one something that you reference in your book too. I, I don't feel women have traditionally felt safe during menopause. You know, their bodies are changing. They feel like society is looking at them differently. Can this, can this uh, new societal milieu and this, this, this new hormonal milieu bring up all these adverse things that have happened in our past? Like what is happening to us during this time? 
Yeah. Um, I, I think that we are part of, we are not, we're not separate, you know, we're not separate from everything else that's happening around us. Everything around us impacts on us. And when I was working in that health screening laboratory 25 years ago, and I, it was in London Square Mile, um, and I was measuring the health of corporate employees. And this is when I started to notice that people, human beings weren't behaving in the way that I'd anticipated they would behave based on my academic research. So the blood pressure was high, the breathing patterns were strange, the ECG when they got on the exercise bike and we were looking at spirometry and oxygen saturation, everything was behaving in a way that was telling me this animal is stressed, why? Why is it behaving as if it's in survival, running in the sympathetic nervous system? So I started paying attention to the world, noticing that, of course, everything was speeding up because of technology and mobile phones and emails and the World Wide Web. So external world, external milieu is affecting internal. And then when you go into the menopause, it's, it's a time where the nervous system becomes even more nervous, if I can put it that way. You can. Yeah. The nervous system becomes more nervous. And it's almost like everything that's happened up until now, this is where you're going to deal with it. Now it's time to deal with it. And I do say I have an 18 year old daughter and she talks to me about premenstrual syndrome and her periods. And whenever she's ready to listen to me, which is not that often at the moment, she'll, um, you know, I'll try and impart a bit of wisdom. But I do say, you know, darling, I know that you're getting period pains. I know you're feeling down, but all of this is this is training for when you go through your menopause. I think every period is training. You go, And when we become in tune and aligned with the cycles and the rhythms of our femaleness, we, it put, stands us in better stead when you go into the menopause because you're free falling then. You don't have the period. You don't have those ovulation pains. You don't have that pains to kind of almost enjoy that, that temperature change that would happen around ovulation I go oh this is happening to my body right now right now so, so you had these demarcations in in this intelligent physiological cycle and then you're kind of free-falling when you go into menopause but the nervous system is vibrating this is the way I feel it and everything that you've dealt that hasn't been dealt with kind of comes up then and we feel it as <clears throat> as heat <laughs> or angst or emotional waves or rage or whatever it's going to be, how it shows up for you and how it's shown up for me. And the interesting thing is that, you know, I talk about this in my book and, you know, inherited ancestral trauma, trauma, in it, you know, and I, I cite Bruce Lipton's work on epigenetics. And, you know, I had trauma in my life. I talk about this a bit in the book and I talk about my adverse childhood experience and my ACE score. But, you know, my ancestors were extreme, they went through huge trauma. You know, they were indentured slaves. <clears throat> there was a lot of domestic violence, a lot of um, incest, alcoholism. And I think I have this hypothesis that you can land in a generation where there is resource. I have more resource than my mother had. She has she had more resource than her mother had. And the more resource, the more surplus of resource we have, the greater the capacity to then heal what's gone before. Hmm. But it can show up in menopause. And that's flipping tough. 
<laughs> yes, yes. That, that is that reader that also sent the recommendation for the show said like, you know, she she described it as like four years of absolute hell, like anxiety, depression, loss of mojo. She quit her dissertation, almost quit her marriage. I mean, I hear this a lot. And they go to, you know, she went to a doctor who was just like, when was your last period? And are you having hot flashes? You know, I mean, it was like no addressing all this other stuff. So where does a woman even start? Mm. Well, this may not be the absolute place to start, but the way I like to help women to start is to help them sleep. You know, being a sleep expert, and I see many women, you know, and I've worked for 10 years in psychiatry, ironically, the psychiatric clinic, where I was once a patient years ago when I was sectioned, I had a breakdown and I, I was sectioned. So I've been on a journey of finding tools and resources for over 25 years. And out of that came this gem of being able to help people to sleep. And I had terrible issues with insomnia as well. And when people come to see me and women in particular, if I can get them sleeping well, there's a sort of magic that starts to take place. The body starts to find a resource for healing, including um, healing trauma, including healing, you know, just being able to cope with everyday life and those swings and those rages and the heat. And you still, you may still have it, but it, it it's not as extreme. So there's a reason I believe why nature has intelligently designed us to spend a third of our lives sleeping. And if I can help my clients and patients to get that sleep and not just get eight hours, I try to to get them to think beyond just getting seven or eight hours of sleep. I tried to think, help them think about, I call it sattvic. In, in Hindi, um, there's a word called sattvic, which means pure. And I try to get them, I try to help them to get a certain type of sleep. And then I start to see this magic taking place where they suddenly have more resource. And that resource might lead them to say, I've got to leave this marriage or I've got to get some therapy or I've got to leave this job or go or go and speak to my manager. They suddenly find the energy to deal with the thing that's exacerbating the menopausal symptoms, if that makes sense. But they need the energy to do that. And once they're sleeping well, that helps them to find the resource and the courage to do the work. I call it the real work. You know, if you don't do the real work and you stay in that marriage, and I've done it, my marriage ended, my second marriage ended during my menopause. There was a lot of loss, a lot of loss and grief. Um, but if you don't do the work, it's it's almost as if that, that rage implodes, it goes in you know, and the symptoms worse. I mean, that's a, that's a hefty topic. Sleep is a hefty topic, especially in the menopausal space, because so, you know, I hear from women who are like, I will do anything. It's been years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Where do you, where do you begin? Yeah. I mean, do you want me to share my five non-negotiables? Do it. That, that <laughs> yeah. So I came across as a result of all these years of helping people, including extreme problems in psychiatry as well. And I discovered that time and again, I was saying these five things, these five things, these five things, somewhat bullishly, like, and, and it came about because I was working with a group of traders in an investment bank and they were like giving me hell and they were drinking. And this was decades ago. So they were, you know, the rules weren't really in health and safety wasn't, you know, employers due to care wasn't quite what it is now. And I was taking virtually any kind of work 
because I was at the start of my career. So I turn up to work with these bankers. They're giving me a hard time. And then I said, look, do you want to get better sleep? And I don't care whether you do or not, because I'm still going to get paid well for this. But you want to do these five things and they're non-negotiable. And then that bursts the five non-negotiables. But they're still relevant. They're very relevant in menopause. Okay. So the first one is eating breakfast. It's related to nutrition. And it's eating within 30 to 45 minutes of rising in the morning. Eating breakfast and making sure it's nutrient-rich making sure that in that breakfast, you've got your protein, you've got your fat, you've got your carbohydrate. And I know that there will be people, there'll be women listening to your podcast who probably practice intermittent fasting and things like that. But what I'm gonna say is that intermittent fasting is great for the right person, the right physiological setup. But if you're having menopausal symptoms, you're having difficulty getting to sleep or staying asleep, waking up, not feeling restored, waking up with hot flushes, you need to reset your nervous system. You need to tell your blood sugar level first thing in the morning that you're safe. You need to tell your body you're safe. You're not living in famine. Eat. Thank you. (laughs) I want to broadcast that into the sky, but thank you for saying that. Go ahead. Yeah, so that's really important. And a lot of women will say they can't eat. It makes them feel sick. I will have a cup of tea or coffee first. So that's the second thing. Don't use caffeine as a substitute for food. So my caffeine habit is a spiritual practice. My cup of tea, my mug, the way I make it. But it's after I've had big food. I've had usually a second breakfast. I have one breakfast, walk the dog, come back, second breakfast. That's eggs. That's what I'm, this is, I pumped this up as a result of working with Julie as well, Julie Angel. Um, so it's really nutrient rich. And then I have my cup of tea and I think, oh, this is this is actually what I prefer more than anything in the world. But don't eat the caffeine, don't have the caffeine until you've eaten. Third thing, hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. So actually, before I even eat, there's hydration happening. And my mix is a third coconut water, hot water, pinch of trace minerals, put that fluid back in, especially if you're getting hot sweats, especially if you're restless at night and your body temperature's all over the place, you'll be losing fluid. And to sleep well, to detoxify the brain, like to get that amazing sattvic sleep, your body needs to be well hydrated, especially if you're gonna be training hard as well. So hydrate, and everyone's got different fluid intake um, requirements, depending on exercise, all that kind of stuff. But for me, it's around two, two and a half liters. Fourth one, cultivate a healthier relationship with going to bed. Ideally, you want to be going to bed around 9, 30, 10. You don't need to be fast asleep, but you could be reading something relaxing and life affirming and uplifting, something not traumatic, you know, maybe not even reading my fourth book before you go to bed, something relaxing, something that makes you go to bed thinking the world is a good place. So, preparing yourself to slide into that first stage. You know, I mean, I used to run marathons, but you know, when you start running and you warm up and you get into your stride and then you do your best run ever. So you don't go out hard. But a lot of people go out hard with sleep. You know, they delay going to bed. They go to bed after midnight, then they hit the sack and they think, right, I need to sleep now. And that's the equivalent of going off too fast. That's a great analogy. Slide into it. And that 90 minutes before midnight is so important for setting up the rhythm of how you're going to sleep throughout the night and um, just setting you up for restful sleep and clean sleep. And then the fifth one, which links into number four, though, is technology. Cultivate a healthier relationship with technology. You know, 
get get your you get your phone out of the bedroom get an old-fashioned alarm clock don't check the time during the night it's normal to wake up during the night so those are the five things technology take breaks from technology during the day you know so I experiment in the morning my phone is out the bedroom switched off in another part, part of the house I wake up and I go right how long before I feel this compulsion to switch my phone on because I'm as addicted as the next person but let me start inside before I go out and you know, I think menopause invites us to go in more. We have to listen really, really deeply because you're not getting the periods. You're not getting the ovulation pains. You're not getting those obvious markers of where you are in your cycle. So you have to learn to listen really deeply. And I have to tell you, the joke is I was experimenting with the 5 a.m. club last week. You know, Robin Sharma's book, The 5 a.m. club, get up at five, do 20 minutes of this, do 20 minutes of that. And by day four or five, I was deranged. <laughs> I mean, I'm constantly, this is life in the living laboratory of Narina, you know. But day four or five, I was actually weeping with a friend on the phone. I'm like, I'm so, I'm so tired. Because I can get quite dramatic when I'm tired. But I was like, I was not listening. Are you not listening to yourself, Narina? This is the phase of life where I used to find waking up at five really easy. And I'd be out on my bike, we'd be training for an Ironman. 5.45, we're meeting by the end end of the road. We're out hitting the hills for 100K bike ride. I don't want to do that anymore. My body doesn't want that. You know, I wake up and I feel like a queen in my bedroom. And it's soft. Let me just listen for a bit. And I think it does. That's the way it's shown up for me and a lot of my clients is there's a, a softness and a gentleness that is required at the start of the day in order to hear what is it that I need? What do I need to eat today? How, wow, I think I need those trace minerals today. I may need that afternoon nap, you know, or I need to, I think at some point today, I'm going to need to cry. And I've got really good at crying. I have no shame about crying now. You know, cry more, you'll probably get less hot flushes. Don't go down the toxic positivity route of it's all great. Do gratitude practice, but it has its place. Allow space for what needs to be felt. Otherwise, it's going to... Bite you in the butt, uh, uh, you know, in the night uh, with those hot flushes. It's it's so interesting that you you articulate that so well. It could be, you know, this, I'm going into the third year of this show, and and woven through the the episodes, this has come up where because we have you you've done Ironman, you've done marathon, where like women would be like, I always just sprung up at five and was out the yeah. door, and and they're just not there, and they're frustrated, and they're forcing themselves. Yeah. And many people have said, maybe just rearrange it a bit and and give yourself some of that time in the morning. And it's interesting to hear you really dive in and articulate that because it it's a theme that has come up a lot. Uh, totally. And, you know, I listen in and I go, do you know what? Today, no river swim. Um, or I'm not sure about river swim today. I'm just not sure. I don't know whether my nervous system, because when you go in there, I mean, you know, I wear a, I've got a wearable and it shows, you know, yeah, when you got in that river, your sympathetic nervous system was like, you know, it was right up there. But, um, and it's not just, it's not just about listening to the data that, that my wearable has given me. It's like, listen in, how do I feel? Actually, I feel really great. And an hour later, I switch my phone on and the data goes, wow, whatever you did with sleep last night, that was brilliant, <laughs> you know? have some fun today and I think yeah that that that's true but you know one of the reasons I went swimming this morning I went into the water is because 
my friend had her 60th birthday on Saturday and I danced my ass off. Sorry, am I allowed to say that? But you, you know, are indeed, I, yes. <laughs> I just let rip. I, you know, it was all the stuff that I grew up with and the hip hop and all this. There was twerking, there was <laughs> slut drops, there was a whole lot. And the next morning, I was like bent over trying to get to the bathroom. I mean, you know, my back was really sore. <laughs> I enjoyed sore a bit too. And I was like, okay. I should have stretched after the three hour drive to get there. I mean, sorry, this is not very inspiring for your listeners, but it's like, okay, I want to do this stuff, but radical self-care, I need to look after myself. And it didn't take long. It was a bit of stretching, five minutes stretching, hot shower, really hot shower, followed by a minute of cold, body felt good, you know? And then um, I saw a lot of the women who'd been to the party as well, and they said they got back you know, after the party, and Noel took anti-inflammatory tablets. And I was like, a painkiller? I don't want to do that. I don't want to take painkillers so I can go dancing. But what I do want to do is know what I need to do in order to be able to continue doing the things I love doing. Because I still climb, and everyone I climb with is at least 10, 20 years younger than me. You know, so I need to take take good care of myself, radical self-care. And a big part of that is strong resting, as Julie would say, Julie Angel. Strong resting. Can you define strong resting for the audience? Strong resting, right. So it, it it goes beyond what happens when you get into bed at night and sleep. It's, um, and I think everyone has to discover their route to strong resting. And Julie would have so much to say about this. And I am learning that for me, it means not even talking. That for me, it means closing my mouth, breathing through my nose. It means sitting or even lying on the floor. I spend a lot of time lying on the floor. Um, I was working this morning at my computer, kneeling on a bolster, you know, and sometimes for me, rest is movement. It's the most restful thing after staring at a screen or presenting to a group of people. Sometimes the most restful thing is, is to get out and dance with friends because I've been in seclusion all week working and in my head so it's for me I've done a TEDx on this called come to work and rest and it's about building recovery into your day every 90 minutes or so in tune with the ultradian rhythm which is the the hum of your energy which lies in this the 24-hour clock so every 90 minutes if you again this listening deeply if you listen what does my body want right now oh it's feeling a bit tired and I might be thinking about a cup of coffee. Is it really coffee that it wants? I'm thinking about chocolate. Is it really chocolate? Maybe it's just sit down, close your eyes. Maybe it's lying on the floor with your legs up the wall. Close your eyes. Maybe right now resting for me means go play with my dog. You know, lie on the floor and play with the dog or go stroke, stroke the cat. I have animals, so it helps, you know. Um, so strong resting is building recovery into your day in a meaningful and creative way that enables you to gather energy either on a physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual level, you know? So when I was driving back from my friend's party yesterday, three hours in the car, I thought, what's the most restful thing that I can do? Well, I can hydrate, I can eat my snacks, and I can switch my phone off because I know that I'm going to want to speak to people because I might get bored but no I'm going to put some music on and I'm going to sing so I did a lot of singing in the car probably quite badly and that <laughs> I came home feeling very energized 
So, um, yeah, I, I, that's a long-winded way of defining strong resting. It's a good way, though. I mean, I like, I didn't expect it to be so multifaceted, but that makes sense. And it, I find fatigue takes many forms, right? I mean, it's it's your central nervous system, it's your legs, it's depending what you're doing, but how you need to rest all of that might look a little different. It, it might do. And, you know, it, the breathing thing, you know, because I've become a great fan of the work of, um, you know, the Oxygen Advantage, mm-hmm. Patrick McEwen's work. And um, I bought his book years ago and it was sitting on the sh- one of my shelves just collecting dust until mm-hmm. Julia reminded me um, uh, about, you know, pa- the Oxygen Advantage and reading uh, and breathing through my nose, keeping my mouth closed because I was very Wim Hof. And there's a place for that as well, but I was really into those extreme um, breath techniques and releasing the trauma. And, you know, if it wasn't a big cathartic snot fest, <laughs> wasn't doing anything. And then I just started to realize actually, you know, it's there's always going to be stuff to, to heal. It's always, it's always going to be there. How can I gently, softly allow myself to, to heal? And to rebalance my nervous system. So I've discovered that less is more with the breathing. So I find that very restful to just lie on the floor, just do four or five minutes of box breathing. Can you define box breathing? Um, Well, the one that my teenager has actually said, mom, I don't listen to much of what you say, but I'm loving the, the box breathing for my panic attacks. And, you know, that, that was a great compliment to she breathing. So if you imagine a box and you're breathing in. So again, ideally, mouth closed through the nose, breathing in for four, hold for four counts, hold for four counts, breathe out for four counts, hold for four counts. And there are different variations on the, the timing. You know, there's a four, four, six, two that I sometimes do. So you're breathing in for four, hold for four, exhale for four hold for two seconds and recently I've started doing more things like Tai Chi and Qigong where the principle of breathe but don't hear your breath make it soft you shouldn't be able to hear it but it's deep and that's quite a that's very different you know so we went to the river and one of my friends who I'm I'm helping him with his breathing because he's got some hypertension issues I've been coaching him a bit on breathing and he was in the river and he was going and I was like okay Rick um Maybe, maybe just this is the place to practice not hearing your breathing. It's really soft. And you can go deep, but don't hear it. And so it brings in a whole, and I find this to be very powerful during during menopause and during those hot flushes when you feel that wave coming. And in the same way with my teenager, you know, listen, when you start to feel that premenstrual wave coming or those period pains or the panic, the anxiety coming, soft. And gentle soft and gentle you don't hear it you know so yeah the breathing is great i'm still learning about strong resting though celine can i just say i'm not an expert i'm not very, i haven't been physically ill i say not physically i've been physically ill since october 2019 to my knowledge i haven't had covid or anything like this you know um when i get ill physically i'm not great at knowing a, that I'm ill, and B, that I need to rest and what that might look like. When people say to me they've spent the whole day in bed, I'm like, wow, really? How do you do that? 
you know. So I'm still a work in progress. You know, restlessness has been my best friend for many years, for most of my life. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Um, A lot of it was the trauma of, of, you know, uh, but I had it from the moment of my birth. My mom said, you, you know, you were born on the trolley as they were wheeling me into the theater. You kind of like blasted your way into the world and then you just wouldn't sleep. So as a baby and continued until my thirties. So there's a, an agitation and unease, that trauma, that's how it shows up for me. It shows up in different ways for other people. For me, it shows up in a can't sit still, have to do this before I can sit still, have to do that before I can sit still, have to do, you know? So like even a Netflix film, you know, I'll sit there and it could take me the best part of a day to watch a two hour film. And then I start to notice this and breathe my way through the agitation. Yeah, I, I wonder if like part of that and I and it's common is that like the demons won't catch me if I keep moving. Yeah, yeah. And I've got a lot better. So I've done a ton, a shared load. And I listened to your podcast, your interview with Athena. Yes, um, that's the one I was yeah. referencing earlier. Yeah, and um, I've done a lot of work on myself, you know, from, well, having been sectioned in the psychiatric unit for a month in my 30s to years of psychoanalytic psychotherapy to cognitive behavioral therapy to somatic experiencing coaching with, with NLP modalities um RTT hypnotherapy I've even done um psychedelic journeying I use a lot I personally use a lot of spiritual practice I use a lot of prayer meditation my form of meditation and contemplation and it's got me to the point in my life where I'm now able to, to sit with the agitation a lot of the time, not all of the time, but most of the time I'm able to go, what's going on right now? Hmm. Can I just be, and I have a favorite chair that I sit in, my red velvet chair. My friends know about my red velvet chair. And I, and I sit there sometimes with my cup of Darjeeling tea and, and I try and be with it, you know, and, um, It's a work in progress. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are stoked to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's has unlocked the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research and creates better shoes for women's performance. Some of Hedda's special features include a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing on women's ankle bones, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and accommodate female toe shape, a more narrow and reductive heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take pressure off the Achilles, a rounded instep that creates a snug fit through the middle to match the curvature of a woman's foot, and supercritical foam and a PBEX plate in the midsole to keep our legs going when the going gets tough. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for your long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've been running in the Alma Tempos, and they are a pleasure to train in. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20, that's all caps, FEISTY20, for 20% off. Check it out today. We'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Musculoskeletal health is everything during menopause. 
Everyone knows how much I love Joint Health Plus from Prevenex, which has helped me get back to distance running after arthritic toes stopped me in my tracks. Now they have a product that has become my go-to for muscle strength and recovery, Muscle Health Plus. Muscle Health Plus contains all the key ingredients we talk about on this show, like creatine monohydrate, essential amino acids, and branched-chain amino acids, plus even more cutting-edge ingredients like HMB and estrogen that are scientifically shown to increase muscle growth, recovery, and strength. I use it every day during my early morning lifting sessions, and there's no question that it helps my power during those workouts and my recovery after. Plus, I love having everything I need from the best high-quality ingredients in one reasonably-priced shake. I've also heard from fellow users who have had bloating or GI upset in the past from creatine that haven't had any of that with Muscle Health Plus. I make my shake with almond milk and espresso, but it's also good with ice cold water, which makes the flavor really pop. As always, you can get 15% off your first order with the code HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. That's HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. Do your muscles a favor and head on over and get some today. Yeah, I, I what I'm hearing through all of this, um, the non-negotiables, the sleep, the breathing, is that it's all these are all roads to help the nervous system be less nervous. I mean, is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, it's that's helping the nervous system become more nervous because what happens when the nervous system is not nervous? It feels safe, right? You know, we sleep when we feel safe, but we don't just sleep when we feel safe. As I have been discovering since publishing my fourth book, Finding Inner Safety, something strange has been happening, Celine, in that I've noticed, noticed that when my nervous system isn't nerv- nervous, something else starts to bubble up, which is an unfurling of sensations of happiness and joy and a bubbling up of just feeling good for no particular reason other than I just feel good in my skin. Mm. And I haven't had this for most of my life. And I have to say so far, I mean, it's early days this year, 2023, but a lot of my, my year so far has been quite joyful for no particular reason. I used to hate Christmas. I used to dread it. You know, I've lost members of my family. My sister died very traumatically. I was heartbroken. My daughter left during the pandemic. There were things. There's been loss. There's been grief. But I've suddenly broken through to a place. And and look, it's up and it's going to be up and down. That's the journey of growth, isn't it? But right now, I'm discovering that the safer I feel and the more settled my nervous system is, And the more prepared I am to sit with the agitation, go through it, go through those moments, cry if I need to. And when I come out the other side, there is an emergence of something which I'm calling joy. And this may well be the subject of my fifth book. And I have to actually write this down on my lucky stone. And it says unashamedly joyful. Because when I first started experiencing this weird sensation called joy, like, what the hell? I'm not allowed to have this. There are people around me suffering. You know, there's war. There are people starving. There are terrible things happening in the world. People are dying. A lot of my best friends, their parents are dying. People younger than that are dying. How can I have, and my daughter sometimes is struggling, you know, how can I have joy? My elderly mother is suffering. She has Alzheimer's. 
how can I have joy? And I had to write it down and go, you're allowed to have this. You're allowed, and we are allowed to have this. And this this is what happens. This is the reward. And so I was very keen to come on your podcast because I feel that there is hope. And I do see the menopause, and trust me, there's been a, a lot of crying. There's been a lot of dark moments. You know, during the pandemic, I went back to a place that I'd been in in my 30s where I felt suicidal. You know, I've, I've done the overdoses. I've, ha- I've been in hospital having the stomach pumped out, you know, in my 30s and in my teens. I never thought I'd go there again. And during the pandemic, the combination of loneliness, grief, trauma, menopause, trying to write a book on tra- a book on trauma while living it myself, it was almost, and I was supporting hundreds of thousands of people. My, my work went through the roof. It all, so there was vicarious trauma as well, you know, not my own, but collective. It all landed. And I went back into that place of feeling so bad that I would I actually sat there one day with my rescue dog in front of me going, if I take these pills, who's gonna who's gonna know? Who's gonna be there for this dog and the cat? Cat will be okay, but the dog. How would I do this logistically? <laughs> I was in a very dark place. And that was less than two years ago. But I had a lot of tools and I reached out to friends. And that's the other thing, deep support, deep support, not just support, deep. Who can you laugh with? Who can you cry with? Who's genuinely there for you? Who's gonna hold space for you if you really need to cry? Like that snot fest, not, not, not kind of cover it up and let's find the positive in this. I know there's, a, my beliefs are such that I believe all of this is a gift, including the trauma. But I can't, cannot spiritually bypass in the moment what my body is experiencing when the trauma comes up and I'm feeling it in my solar plexus, in my chest, in my body. I cannot spiritually bypass it with a gratitude practice. I, I need to cry that out. I need, And if I'm scared to do it on my own, I need to reach out. And I started reaching out to people. So I have learned how to make friends. I didn't have many friends you know, growing up, I don't have friends from school or I now have two friends from university who I've reconnected with, but I wasn't very good at making friends. Um, I was very much in my head very much an intellect, intellectual. And then even when I was doing a lot of sports, it was my sporting buddies. And, you know, a week after my sister died, none of my triathlon friends really knew what was happening. I turned up to track and I trained hard. I did 10 400s, you know, um, I trained for a half iron, my first half iron man, you know, as soon as I, she, she died, I went into hard training. And so all of this came back during the pandemic because it hadn't been resolved and I needed deep support and deep connection. And I'm learning, I'm learning how to do that. I'm learning how to allow friendship. And that's been amazing and real, genuine, authentic friendship, which can sometimes look quite ugly. Is there a place that you found these friends? Well, some of them happened down by the river. Mm. You know, um, Denise Yates, the, the wonderful woman who introduced me to your podcast, she started coming down from North London to swim in the river because the place where she used to swim close to her was closed. So I met her. Um, and then there were some existing friendships where I started showing myself more and trusting to do that. Mm. And so the party I went to at the weekend, they're from university, but, and they're but dear friends who I never trusted 
I never thought I was good enough to be their friends. They're both eminent professors, one a gynecologist and IVF specialist, and the other one's a professor in cancer research at Imperial College. I never thought I was as good as them. So I, I never showed up if I wasn't feeling great. And then I started showing up when I wasn't feeling great and then saying, I'm actually not feeling great. I need you guys to see that I'm not feeling great. And sometimes I was quite feisty with it because they had never seen me like that. So that it took being very honest. Um, I also met friends um, by just walking my dog, making more eye contact. Um, I'm, I, I started asking friends if we could speak on the phone rather than just texting. And as a result, realized that there were some friends who would never be those close friends because they didn't want to do more than text messages or voice messages. They weren't the ones who would do the phone calls or let's meet up. And so I started building a sort of network around me of people who are different, different types of friendships for different modes. And then I have my buddies who I climb with who might not be the ones I cry with, but they serve a different one than the ones I might dance with. And then they're ones who span all the different areas. But I think having two or three friends that you can you can really cry with and really laugh with. And the network is growing all the time, you know, as I as I trust and I allow. That is, a, that is beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. As a lifelong runner and cyclist, I am stoked to announce that Tifosi Optics has come on as a podcast sponsor. The beauty of Tifosi sports glasses is that they hit all the marks. They are shatterproof polycarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance and complete eye protection. They stay put. They have little hydrophilic rubber nose pads that actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they stay secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in sauna-like conditions. No matter what sport you do, they have a shade for your activity, including tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, and just hanging out at the beach. And they are super reasonably well-priced, which is very hard to find in a sea of overpriced eyewear. And they just look freaking rad. So head on over to tifosioptics.com and use the code FM, capital F, and capital M, like Feisty Menopause, number 20, FM20, to get 20% off your order today. I'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Good sleep. The one thing that sets you up for a great workout and a good day is quality sleep. We talk about it all the time here on the show, which is why I'm stoked to have Lagoon Sleep as a new sponsor. Because one of the most overlooked tools in a great sleep toolbox is the thing you literally rest your head on eight hours a night, your pillow. A quality pillow is everything. Otherwise, you end up tossing, turning, punching, and folding your pillow, waking up with neck pain, and all the stuff that happens when your pillow doesn't meet your personal comfort needs. Say hello to the most comfortable sleep you've ever had with Lagoon. They start you out with a two-minute personalized pillow quiz and then pair you with your perfect pillow. I got the Otter, a cooling adjustable pillow that is perfect for side sleepers who run warm at night like I do. It is a dream. It's fully adjustable, so I was able to get the perfect loft and support, and the cooling feature is everything. As someone who turned into a furnace every evening before menopause, I appreciate that the Otter is stuffed, with shredded gel-infused memory foam, which instead of trapping heat from my neck and head, draws it away and dissipates it. It's truly delightful. I'm a good sleeper, and Otter's taken it to the next level with both support and cooling. Put my head down, good night, Irene. 
My aura ring confirms what little tossing and turning I was doing is gone. The beauty of the pillow quiz is you can get the perfect pillow that you need to and make your sleep the best sleep you can have. Go to lagoonsleep.com slash hit play and take the two minute quiz to find your perfect match. And then use the code hit play, all caps, one word for 15% off your first purchase. Sweet dreams. As you're talking, I, I I wonder also what your thoughts are on the hormonal drive of a lot of this. You know, we hear a lot of women, you have done Ironman, uh, you keep referencing climbing, you rock climb now. Is that what? Yes, I do. Although I haven't been outdoors for a couple of years, a few years now. But so a lot of it is indoors. But I also, um, uh, you know, do a bit of children's playgrounds, just climb stuff. I climb trees, you know, during the pandemic, I was a lot, I was up very high as well. So a little bit of um, parkour-esque type oh, stuff. That's, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So, so, but I'm wondering, like, a lot of times I hear women and they'll say, you know, they've, they've been very motivated. They've had a lot of mojo. They've been training. Mm-hmm. Everything's great. And then sort of on a dime, like, they just, it's gone. Like, it feels like it's evaporated into space and they don't. You know, one woman's like, I went out for a run and she's like, I don't want to do this anymore. And she, mm. you know, is a lot of times the answer is posited as a hormonal therapy route. Um, but I'm you know, I'm curious on your thoughts of managing that space when it comes up. Yeah. So I've had my journey with that and I'm currently not running. I have um, an injury in my left knee. And I'm paying attention to it. So I haven't really been able to run much for the last two years. And I I have to be honest, I miss running a lot. And I don't want to be able to run. I don't want to do marathons anymore. I don't even want to measure my running. I don't want to time anything. But I love the freedom of just putting, I mean, walking doesn't really do it for me. I hear you. Oh, I, I just like, it's just like, it's, doesn't suit my physiology I grew up watching my father run you know and it's it feels like it's in my DNA so I miss the running and looking back on it you know I was really blowing up in my perimenopause I wasn't eating properly but I was just pushing through and I was doing sub four hour marathons which was decent you know my last one was when I was 46 uh, 345 good marathon it was a good marathon but I was getting night sweats and stuff like that. I, I didn't even realize what was happening to me. And I wasn't eating properly. And I, was, I wasn't eating, pro, I wasn't getting the right protein and fat. I was, you know. Um, and so I'm now not able to run, really, because this knee thing is. And so it's a work in progress. I'm working with Julie. I'm doing a lot of strength stuff. I'm doing, doing a lot of kettlebells, um, doing a lot of um, 360 degree movement to wake up the muscles that support the knee, you know, working on the hip and stuff like that. And I'm having, holding out hope that I'll be able to go back to running. But um, there's also in there, uh, again, that deep listening where I started to realize that I didn't really, I didn't miss it as much as I thought I would because I didn't really want to do what I used to do. You know, I think I was running away from life rather than running towards life. And so I'm I'm just wondering, and this is just my journey. I mean, I have a friend who's the same age of me as me in her late 50s, who's done about 150 marathons, and she can do, I think she's done like a marathon every day over the weekend type scenarios. But there's a lot of trauma that has never been dealt with, and it's her thing. And um, 
so I think you have to find your journey and you have to find your way with it. And you 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 do need every trick in the book, that radical self-care. I take hormone replacement. I take body identity hormones, right? And for a while I thought, you know, do I need to be ashamed of this? And then I thought, no, I, I'm going to do it. And in fact, I was speaking to my Chinese medicine practitioner and he was sticking the needles in and he was doing the Chinese herbs. And I said, you know, John, I'm thinking about the hormone replacement because, and he goes, there's so much going on in your life. And at the time I was traveling a lot, you know, I think the week after that I was, I'd done Hong Kong and back in three days, delivering programs with an investment bank and running leadership programs and stuff. And I was like, he goes, you need every trick in the book. You know, you're dealing with grief. Your daughter is going through a really tough time. Your marriage has ended. You're right. You're working on your, I think I was working on my third book at that, that time. And you, you still want to do the things that used to be able to, you still want to climb and cycle and run and, and do all of that stuff. You need, you need to resource that. So, you know, we need to, we need to reach out for resource. We need to supplement, you know, and I was listening to um, your podcast and I was listening to something about um, joint support. So I, I messaged my um, nutritionist, holistic nutritionist. I said, can you tell me a bit about, you know, do I need to be taking more joint? I think it was Pre Prevenix. Mm -hmm. That was the one. Yeah. Okay, because I can see it's a US supplement. So I messaged a few friends. What are you guys doing for joint support? So it's got a constant listening and, hmm, I feel like my body's changing a little bit again. Do I need to bring in more support? What does that look like? What's that going to? So it is an inquiry. You know, I mean, you also need to think about affordability. What can we afford? How did the hormone therapy, what was the catalyst? Like, what were you experiencing that made you say, I'm thinking about going down this route? And then how did it help? Yeah, I started feeling untethered, like emotional and just like really swings, massive swings. And, you know, back in 1995, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, but I'm not medicated for bipolar. And um, they diagnosed complex PTSD. I'm not medicated. I take no medication for mental health such, you know. Um, but those swings started becoming more extreme and I was noticing um, motivation was low, um, hot, you know, flashes and hot sweats. And, and, and it was, you know, being with a teenager and watching her struggling and noticing that we were as a, we were a unit. And if I was feeling bad, she was, she was going to feel bad. It, it felt unforgivable, unforgiving rather, you know, and I, I just thought, I need more support. You know, I'm getting the acupuncture every few weeks randomly. I'm taking my Chinese herbs. I'd always pushed through everything including Ironman and marathons and stuff. You know, I used to show up and not eat breakfast for a marathon, just eat what was on the on the route or route. I think Athena said the same. I used to do that. You know, I did a lot of Paris marathons, just had a croissant and then ran a marathon and then maybe took an energy gel with some caffeine in it, mile 18, you know. But then I just realized I just couldn't do it and that if I wanted to continue doing the things I loved, and the dancing, I danced a lot, I needed that extra help and... I wanted to feel juicy and attractive and sexy. I wanted all of that. And um, and so I found that when I started taking it, this is just my experience. 
I started, you know, regaining some of those things that I wanted. And I don't believe that, you know, some of these women said at the party, you, if you want to dance like this, you at the end of the day, you got to take a couple of anti-inflammatory tablets. Hell no. I would rather be called mad getting in the river, you know? So, you know, I have a tub of water in my garden, which is at frozen solid at the moment, but hopefully as the temperatures, when they start to rise. So I will, I'll get in that, you know, if I can't get down to the river, but that's my medication as well. And on those days where that dark cloud comes in, it doesn't necessarily need them. You know, everything that I take, all the resourcing helps, but those dark, it still happens. I still have days like that. Yeah. I'm, and I'm glad you share that too, because I, in some circles, I feel like hormone therapy is getting um, a little too glorified as a panacea and, you know, people get on it and it's just like, it's, it's not really meant to be a panacea. So, I mean, I have not taken it I and I have no, it's just not been my journey and I haven't felt the need, but, um, but it is not a panacea for sure. You have to do all this other work that you're doing. You do, you do. And I don't think there's any way of getting around it. I think that if you don't do the work, it, it shows up. And I'm, unfortunately, I'm seeing this with some of my friends around me who are not necessarily doing the work, you know, and um, it's showing up physically, physically with all sorts of ailments. And, and I'm watching, you know, one of my best friends who was climb, would climb with me, cycle with me, now is not able to climb, now is not able to cycle. And, and, and that's when the joy starts to go and we can't, and I don't climb like I used to climb. Hell, I don't even know if I'm going to be climbing outdoors anymore. I don't know, but I'm keeping an open mind. And in the meantime, I'm climbing indoors and I'm still bouldering. And I'm still sometimes jumping off the bouldering wall, but being careful and making sure that everything is strong so that I fall well, you know. And the, and the training with Julie helps as well, that 300, because even though I considered myself to be very fit when I started training with her um, last year, there were certain things I couldn't do. And I thought, what the hell? It's eye-opening. <laughs> yeah, this is really annoying. I, You know, I, I can do all sorts of things. Why can't I do that? That's a really simple thing you're doing, and I can't do that. So I treat it as an adventure. So is there anything that we haven't um, covered, and we've covered a lot of beautiful ground here, is there anything that we have not covered that you, before we close the conversation that you would that you think this is audience would benefit from or that you would like to share with our audience I think I'd like to share a message of hope thank you you know a message of hope that this can be a hopeful time this can be a joyful time but you do have to do the work and sometimes doing the work is means you know, you go party with your friends at the weekend, but you're not going to drink. They think you're drinking, but you're not really, because I want to feel great the next day. I mean, I'm going to have one glass of wine or something, but, and that might be my version of, you know, doing, doing the work. I can't necessarily do what I used to do and get away with it, but I think it's a hopeful and, and joyful time. And I also think there's something in this, there's a gem in the menopause which is, and this came out last year when I was invited to speak at the Women's Climbing Symposium in England, in Exeter. And we had 
what's her name? Abby Dion, who's the only black woman in New York to have climbed from New York who climbed Everest. And we had Gilly MacArthur, she's an ice swimmer and climber who broke her back and came back from that. And um, and I know that Gilly, she's in the menopausal age range as well. But they invited me to go there and speak. And I'm like, but you've got all of these Olympic climbers and all these young women and hot women going. And they go, no, 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 you, you are, you're one of our elders. You're one of the wise elders. And I was like, you know what? I like that. And I think that there is a wisdom. There is a wisdom that comes through in, in the menopause. And there's, it's a very internal space. It takes you into a very internal space. And don't be afraid to go there. Don't be afraid to go there because you you don't only meet a few demons, but you there's, there's gems in there. And then you can come out and share those gems. And... I take that into my corporate work. I mean, I can be positively fierce if I need to. You know, I can go into the the big top four management mm -hmm. consultancies and be as fierce as I've, I couldn't be in my 30s and 40s, but I can be now. And menopause has given me that. This is going to sound like a very strange question, but um, do you need to slay the dragons to get the gems or can you just sit down with the dragons and in, in quiet and maybe just slide a gem into your hand <laughs> you know i mean just I, I like i actually feel like i i am better at like just sitting with the dragon where i always felt like i had to slay the dragon i'm like i'm better with being like hey dragon longtime friend of mine mind if i have a seat. <laughs> and what would slaying the dragons look like for you, Celine? What did that used to look I felt, like? I'm very goal-oriented, so I would feel like I need to resolve this thing. I need an answer. Like, I need to get it out of my head, right? I need to get rid of it. I need to exercise, whatever it might be. But, like, I... I and many people in endurance sports are oriented this way. I'm like, I'm just going to run to the sun, you know, and the dragon will not catch me. But at some point you've got to sit down and recover more. And they'll say, like, hey, the dragon's still there. Um, but I don't mind the dragon as much. Like, and that's just been my journey. Like, I'm like, okay, we coexist, dragon. Um, yes. Yeah. I love that. And, and I think sitting with the dragon is great, you know, and I sit in my red chair and I, sit with a dragon and I contemplate my dragon or first thing in the morning, I like to do this practice where before I open my eyes, I just listen to my head. I go, ah, shit, that's what's going on today. And you know, if I could run, I would be running this morning, but I can't run right now. And walking is not going to slay this particular dragon. So this is going to call for something else. And there's a, there's a, uh, there's now I've got much better at gently sitting with it. And sometimes that process does take longer, you know, and I'm not even convinced that sometimes slaying with the running used to work for me, or maybe it just numbed, stuffed it in deeper. And tired the dragon out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I got him deeper in. Just shut it up for a while. But, um, but yeah, this gentleness and this sitting with it is, is really quite it's it's quite beautiful and and asking questions. Okay, wow. So this is going. I wonder how this is going to play out today. What is what is this asking of me today? And I do a lot of I wonder. I wonder how this is. You know, rather than I hope this feeling goes. Hmm. 
I wonder, I wonder where this feeling is taking me today. I wonder what this feeling, I wonder what this feeling wants. And I have, I have names for some of my dragons. I have a Miss Trunchbull, Trunchbull. And I have a neurona, neuron, neurotic, just from, because predictive text sometimes puts me in as, instead of neurona, it says neurona or neurotic. So I thought, yeah, there's definitely one of those as well. So I have different names for them. So sometimes I, you know, I go, Miss Trunchbull, you really don't want me to write today. You're, you're really unhappy about me sitting down to write. You're really giving me a hard time about the thought of going in to speak to that management consultancy with all those guys. So what are you really afraid of? What can I give you? Let's sit with this. And so I'm quite, I don't tell her to F off, you know, or try and run till she shuts up, which you can't do. But yeah, so I think that's what you mean. Yeah, sitting, sitting, sitting gently, softly. Yeah. And it, and to bring this full circle, that that brings down that sympathetic activity too instead of being like shit the dragon is here again and just like ramping it up just being like hello taroma <laughs> like Absolutely. i see you're here again and it enables that what we call in you know trauma in the trauma world safety science world it enables the pendulation between the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic and then just dancing between the two and just noticing where you are on that and just noticing, okay, I just need to sit gently now. And, you know, like even last night, coming back from a weekend of revelry and wonderful conversations and beautiful connections, just sitting with the dragon of loneliness that popped mm. up. Here I am. Hmm. Here I am. That's okay. And I can be with this, you know, and, and it, and it, it moves quite quickly these days, you know, most of the time. <laughs> as long as I, I look after my energy, you know, if I get myself overtired, that dragon's raging at me for a while, you know. Right, right. That's which which comes back to our five non-negotiables to keep yourself um, in a good space. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, you know, can I just say to people that those five things, are you do them for seven to ten days. Mm -hmm. And you will start to notice the difference to your energy. And it, you might notice the difference to your energy before you notice the difference to your sleep. You might notice that you're just, you may not have slept so well. You maybe have, you had a couple of hot flashes, but you wake up feeling better. Some of you more energized. You suddenly feel, and then you go to bed not feeling so anxious about going to bed and sleep isn't the enemy anymore. So practice it for seven to 10 days. Breakfast, caffeine, hydration, get to bed earlier, technology out the bedroom, more breaks from technology during the day. Then notice how your nervous system starts to pendulate in a more, more softly. It's not doing that or up and down, you know, it's softer. It's softer. Ah, okay. And then you can bring in deeper tools. Then you can bring in the, you know, the gratitude practice and doing a bit more breathing. Because some of my clients, when they come to see me, we can't touch breathing in the first session. Nervous system's too nervous. So we do five non-negotiable. Second session, we go in deeper. Then we do the gentle breathing. You know, feel the exhale going out of the body. Breathe out roots. Feel the breathing in the belly, keeping the mouth closed. Soft, soft. You can't hear it. Then they're ready to go there. But in the first session, no. <laughs> yeah. No, it's definitely a, it's definitely a process, and I I thank you for coming and sharing 
the first steps of that process and your own your own process with us because you know it's uh it's meaningful when when somebody has been through it and is going through it yeah it's an inside out it's an inside out job and the work is never done until you're done that's my belief you know when i take my last breath then i've done my work but you know i can't sit here thinking i've done it i've I'm there now, you know, who knows what's waiting around the corner. But what I do know is that I, I'm, I'm showing up every day. I'm committed to doing the work when I get a bit unconscious sometimes and I'm slipping up by the wayside, I gently bring myself back in again go, okay, that, that didn't quite work. What are we going to do differently now? You know, Hmm. it's a, it's a beautiful journey. Well, that's our show. Join me next week when I sit down with Annabelle Broadbent. Annabelle is a pathogenic microbiologist by profession, and she is also a self-described elite vegan athlete, a commercial fashion model, a creative artist, a photographer, a horsewoman, a certified equine massage therapist, a cyclist, a skateboarder, and a yogini. And she is also a really kick-ass runner who has amassed 15 Puerto Rico national records as a master's runner in four different age groups in seven different distances. And last year, at age 55, was awarded the 2022 USATF Gold Fidipides Award for Excellence in Long Distance Running. We talk about how she's navigated menopause and training and a whole lot more. So come on back for that one. And until then, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends, and please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.